This week on Blue 58, what do the Packers do with Demarius Randall? Is he a bust, a bad fit, or something else entirely? We take up that question on top of taking a look at the Packers' offensive line and telling you why a few people need to be getting some more credit. Then we'll cap this whole thing off with a look at the season so far. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58. My name is John Meerdink and I will be your host today. Thank you for tuning in to our 50th episode. We would have planned something exciting for this episode, but we try to give you kind of the same experience week in and week out. Just give you the full effort, uh, full bore, Blue 58 each and every week. So how much more special could this really be? Also, I forgot to schedule something special for episode number 50. Maybe when episode number 100 rolls around, we'll try to do something a little bit extra special. Anyway, let's take a look at the headlines. Just a couple this week because we want to get into a recap of the first four games of the season so far. This one at thepowersweep.com, is Demarius Randall a bust? Interesting question, I think. He left Thursday's game against the Chicago Bear in a bit of a huff after Mike McCarthy apparently told him to just get off the sidelines. Never really a good look, no matter who you are pretty much just tumbled down the depth chart throughout the course of this season after having more or less every opportunity to wrap up a big role early in training camp, early in the season, really, too. Now he seems to be more or less on the outside looking in as the Packers really go safety heavy in their secondary, along with giving guys like Kevin Kings and even Josh Hawkins a look on defense. So the question is, is he a bust? I tried to answer this uh, semi-methodically on the blog, and I think it's really hard to say for sure, but it's kind of starting to look that way. Uh, Three main ways a player can be a bust, and I think Randall has a claim to all three of these. Uh, I think players can be bust because, first of all, they're just bad players. They're not any good, so they end up not being a good pick. Uh, they end up not being a good fit for their team for whatever reason. You think you can get a guy to play a certain way, and it turns out that actually you can't. So he's just a bad fit for your team, and he's a bust for that reason. Thirdly, guys can be busts because of injuries. Think of a guy like Justin Harrell or Derek Sherrod. Uh, Sure, they had some issues on the field, but their biggest problem was they couldn't stay on it at all. As far as Demarius Randall goes, I think you could make a case for each of those three points. Let's start with the fit question. He's not really a good fit for what the Packers look for from their defensive backs in terms of a size, strength, speed sort of uh, measurement. He's a little bit undersized, and he doesn't have the blazing speed that you would expect from a guy uh, who is a little bit on the small side. Um Usually you see their cornerbacks be a little bit bigger and and guys have made a career just out of being a big and physical players. And Randall is not that kind of guy. Um, There's also a significant point to be made as, as far as him just not being a very good player. He's frequently out of position. He seems unprepared for the start of plays very, very often, which is just surprising and disappointing to see. And he doesn't cause that many turnovers to maybe make up for some of those shortcomings in other areas. Randall has not recorded an interception since the Seattle game last year when he had two, and he really doesn't get his hands on a whole lot of balls other than that either. Finally, he has been injured to the point that it's really hard to know what to think about him. He played most of last season with some sort of groin injury, though we're not really sure exactly what that is or to the extent that it that it limited him. But it did limit him um, 
to what we believe is a significant extent, but it's hard to really say because you don't know uh, the full extent of the injury situation there, and we probably never will. So whether he's a bust or not, there is a, a, a tricky way forward for the Packers from here. What did they do with Demarius Randall? I think that's a tricky question because you can't play him if he's going to be a liability on defense, and that's exactly what he's been so far. But on the flip side of that, you can't know if he's going to improve if you don't play him at all. I don't know if Demarius Randall is the sort of guy who can accept a reduced role. I think we saw that in Thursday's game. Josh Hawkins started to get some more burn, and Demarius Randall ended up sitting on the bench, sulking, had to get a talking to from Devon House, and then eventually just sent to the locker room if he wasn't, you know, I can just picture McCarthy or Mike McCarthy saying in sort of a paternal, maybe grandfatherly way almost, you know, if you're not going to shape up, you just got to get out of here. My grandpa always used to say stuff like that. You just got to shape up a little bit. Randall does have to. He he has to turn this thing around or he is going to be a bust indisputably. And he might be the most indisputable, uh, pure on-field bust in recent Packers history. It does seem like he's going to have a more limited role. Maybe he can earn back some playing time, but a lot of that is going to depend on whether or not uh, he is willing to accept that limited role. The second headline I wanted to touch on this week uh, was in relation to Lane Taylor. He has been, in my mind, a huge, huge success for the Packers this year, last year, and really since he joined the team. In 2013, he joined the team as an undrafted free agent player out of Oklahoma State, now on his third contract in a after an extension in September. It's really, he's been a big part of why the Packers line hasn't been a total disaster. Of the guys who have played this year, who do you think is the most indispens- indispensable offensive lineman? It's got to be him or Corey Lindsley, right? Uh, Lindsley has been rock solid at center, uh, and there really have been no questions about Lane Taylor at left guard and even at left tackle. My question is, why aren't people like Ted Thompson, Mike McCarthy, and James Campen getting more credit for this situation? It's really fashionable in some circles online to bash Ted Thompson or even to explore his shortcomings in certain ways. And there is merit to that. He does have some shortcomings as a general manager. I think even he would say that. But he never gets any credit for picking up Lane Taylor or for the development of Lane Taylor into a starting caliber offensive lineman. They wouldn't have cut Josh Sitton at the start of last season if they weren't confident in Lane Taylor's abilities, and he has borne that out in a big way. Mike McCarthy, likewise, has not gotten much credit for the play of the offensive line to this point in the season. Uh, It could have been a complete abject horror show disaster for the Packers through these first four weeks of the season, but it hasn't been. By and large, it's been pretty okay. Not great, but at least pretty okay. It could certainly have been much, much worse. Mike McCarthy is certainly a big part of that, particularly in this last game against the Bears. Really, really impressive game plan, and the Packers seem to execute it to perfection. And Mike McCarthy has to get a lot of credit for that. Finally, James Campen. I don't really know how you would give a lot of credit to the offensive line coach uh, for the development of these players, but Lane Taylor has come a long way since his rookie season. The first time we got an extended look at Lane Taylor was in a road game in 2013 when he stepped in for TJ Lang. He was a complete disaster then, a completely different player now, and I think James Campen has to get a lot of 
a lot of credit for that. And I think by and large, the Packers have really been pretty spectacular so far this year as a whole, playing with what I think you could charitably call less than a full deck. They, they, this is not a full-strength Packers team, and the Packers have been pretty good all around, all things considered. I think you have to give everybody at just about every level of the organization a lot of credit for that, and I'm excited to see where it goes from here. This is not all just Aaron Rodgers covering up weaknesses on this team, though he has been very good. Mike McCarthy needs a lot of credit. His assistants need a lot of credit. And Ted Thompson needs a lot of credit for putting together this roster that can roll with a lot of these punches. Before we dive into our main topic, wanted to bring up a question I have for the listeners of Blue 58, uh, wherever you may be. Uh, we do an email newsletter just about every week from, from the Power Sweep. And while I think it's good, I think it could be better. Um, I think there is uh, some added value to, to readers and listeners out there who are getting the newsletter, just because it keeps you help you helps you keep on top of some of the things that we're doing at the Power Sweep. But like I said, I think it could be better. But I feel like I have a little bit of a blind spot to this. There are a significant number of you out there who have signed up for this email list. What would you like to see in a newsletter? Uh, is there a feature missing that you you would like to see more of? Uh, is there something that is going on in the newsletter that you don't like and would like to, to see us stop doing? Uh, let us know. Likewise, if you are not a newsletter subscriber, what, if anything, could we do that would get you to sign up uh, for this email newsletter? We think it's a service, but there's no point in us continuing to do it if uh, if a, a significant portion of you don't really want it and... Uh, can't tell us anything that we could do that would make it worth your while. So let us know. Drop us a line at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Uh, that is our email address, or you may get in touch with us via our Facebook or Twitter pages. You know how to find us there. Just go to one of those sites and type in the Power Sweep into the, the helpful search box there. Let us know. Is there something that you like about the email that you want to see more of? Is there a feature that you're missing out on uh, that you, you'd like us to add? Or if you haven't signed up at all, uh, let us know what we could do to get you to sign up, and, and we would love to do that for you because uh, we want to bring this, uh, bring you the best uh, and most quality listening and reading experience that we can do, and this is a way that we think we can do that. Let's dive into those first four games. Blue 58, hit, hit. I have always argued that the first quarter or so of the season is all about getting to know a team, and whenever you're getting to know somebody, there are going to be some surprises. Uh, some bumps in the road, maybe some things you didn't quite expect, some things that maybe that you didn't know about uh, that you end up kind of kind of liking. We're still getting to know this 2017 Packers team. In in all reality, we've really only had this team uh, to get to know them for about eight weeks or so since uh, since the preseason really kicked off, and now four weeks into the regular season, we're still learning about this team, their strengths, their weaknesses, and, and who's going to play a big part on this team. We're getting a better idea, but we still have a long way to go. Uh, and we're still learning about this team. So what have been some of the surprises with the 2017 version of the Packers so far? We've got a big, long list here, and we're going to go through them, uh, alternating between what we think are some of the good surprises and the bad surprises of the season so far. So let's dive right in. 
the first good surprise to me. The offensive line has not been a complete disaster. We touched on this just a little bit before the break. Uh, it, it hasn't been as bad as it possibly could have been. Kyle Murphy uh, wasn't a complete train wreck uh, at left tackle. Uh, even in the, the full guard lineup, uh, four guard lineup, I guess, uh, with uh, Lane Taylor and Justin McRae manning the outside spots, it, it, hasn't, it wasn't completely terrible. It was passable. Maybe against some better teams, it, it wouldn't have, have necessarily played out quite the same way. But it hasn't been a disaster, and I think that's a good surprise. Uh, I was one of the big doomsayers about uh, David Bakhtiari going, going down, and I think that point still holds. But it hasn't been as bad as it possibly could have been, and I think that's been a pretty good surprise. The flip side of that, and a bad surprise, is Martellus Bennett hasn't been as much of a game-changer as we possibly thought he was going to be. A lot of that is is due to his role as a blocker, but really it seems like he hasn't gotten super involved in the offense so far this year. That feels a little bit weird to say because he has a fair amount of catches, a really good amount of catches actually. I think he's like number seven in the league in terms of receptions by a tight end so far this season, but it's been kind of surprising how he really hasn't had any sort of breakout game or moment or even an individual play yet so far this season. Uh, He did have a pretty clutch conversion. I think it was late in the Seattle game where they kind of ran a a specific play that seemed to be just for him, and he picked up a a key conversion late in the game as the Packers ran out the clock. That was in the Seattle game now that I think about it. But other than that, it's been been a pretty quiet start to the season for Martellus Bennett. I think that's been a surprise in a bad way. Back on the good side, the Packers' third down defense is much, much better across the board. There's a piece coming later this week at thepowersweep.com on exactly how much better they have been. But if you think back to June, we wrote about how the Packers' third down defense really sunk the team. I mean, they were giving up on on third and between, so, so down and distance, third and between four and six yards to go for an opposing team. They were giving up almost eight yards per play. In that situation, that number has dropped way, 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 way down so far this year. And it has helped the defense so much. And it has helped the offense get in, into some advantageous positions as well. So I don't think you can say enough good things about how uh, how much better the defense has been on third downs and how, how big of a role that's played uh, in the offense or in the, in the defense's success so far this season. The flip side of that is nobody other than Clay Matthews is really getting to the quarterback, and that is a a bad, bad surprise. Uh, we are doing uh, total pressures as one of the stats we're tracking this year. And uh, Clay Matthews, through four games, is into double digits in terms of pressures already with 10.5. We think that's pretty good. I think that's pretty good. However, nobody else has more than 5.5. Mike Daniels was off to a terrific start early in the season, but hasn't played since then. Nick Perry has been up and then mostly down throughout the course of the season, and he's been dealing with a broken finger, but he really hasn't been super consistent. Nobody other than Clay Matthews is really getting to the quarterback on a consistent basis, and it's something that needs to be changing for the Packers' defense. I am a little bit surprised at this, not completely surprised, but it has been a bad surprise for the defense on the whole. We have some more about that coming uh, later in this week as well as we dive further into our data from this year. 
a bad surprise or a good surprise. Uh, I guess it kind of dovetails with this. We're really learning a lot with uh, with these stats that we are tracking uh, this year. We uh, are, are doing the ball hawk index. We are doing total pressures. Those are two that really require an extra level uh, of involvement on our part to really get stuff out of that. And uh, it's really been surprising to me to see how much extra stuff we have learned by doing that. And I would encourage you to go and take a look at that data. It's available on thepowersweep.com. In our menu, we have an advanced stats sort of page, and uh, you can take a look at it there. But some of the things that we learn actually don't even show up in that, that data, but they still help me Uh, specifically write about the team in a more informed way. I'll give you a specific example here. So um, as I mentioned, the Packers are not having a lot of guys other than Clay Matthews get to the quarterback, uh, and they're not showing up even in our uh, semi-advanced sort of stat uh, total pressures uh, as people who are influencing opposing offenses. However, by going back and looking at each of these offensive plays for the opposing team, you still get to see how the defense is dictating to the offense how the game goes. And the Chicago Bears game from last Thursday is a great example. The Packers weren't getting home on a lot of pressures, but something interesting that I saw pop up again and again is that the Packers' interior rush, Kenny Clark, uh, Quinton Dial, Ricky Jean-Francois, and people like that were consistently pushing the pocket. Uh, so they were pushing the, the center and two guards back into Mike Glennon's pocket and made it difficult for him to step up into throws. And that resulted in somewhere between four and six, I think, uh, poor, inaccurate throws for him where a receiver was open. That's something that we wouldn't have known about had we not gone back and tried to accumulate some of this data. And I think uh, that's been a big benefit for me, at least, um, so far this season. The flip side of that is uh, our third advanced stat. Run percentage has been a complete disappointment. We thought it would do a lot towards um, sort of enlightening our perspective on the running game so far this year. It really hasn't. And I think there's a couple of factors that go into that. First, while it does show us uh, who's doing a better job at at getting a specific amount of carries within a a range of yardage, it doesn't take into effect the offensive line's contributions very well. So Ty Montgomery has really terrible stats in this metric right now. But I don't think a lot of that is his fault. Unfortunately, there's no way for us to make that stat really reflect, reflect that. So I'm not sure how useful that's going to be going forward. I'm not sure we're going to put a lot of our time and energy into that uh, in the future, but we'll keep an eye on that and and maybe just keep tweaking that behind the scenes. I do have some other stuff in mind that we think could be could be interesting, but that one has been a little bit surprising uh, in its disappointment. Back on the good side, a good surprise for me has been Kevin King, Josh Jones, uh, and even Josh Hawkins. The Packers secondary uh, has been different than I think we thought it was going to be this year, but it's been also quite good at times. And and these three young players have been a big reason for that. Uh, Kevin King has been surprisingly good, and he's played a bigger role, I think, in these first four games than, than we might have anticipated. Josh Jones has been uh, exactly what the doctor ordered in terms of an athletic, physical, aggressive presence in the in the middle of the Packers defense. And that's been amazing to watch. Going back and taking a look at the film from that Cincinnati game, just incredible seeing him get all over the field. And that, it's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, he's, he's just exciting to watch and to see. And that's been a, been a fun surprise 
so far this season. Josh Hawkins, also uh, a great surprise as well. Uh, I was near the front of the Josh Hawkins bandwagon since about the middle of training camp, and it's been a pleasant surprise to see him um, really step up and get a, a bigger role uh, as the season has gone on, and I'm excited to see what he does over the course of the rest of this season. The flip side to that, the bad surprise, is Demarius Randall and Quinton Rollins. Uh, we talked about Demarius Randall up at the top of the show, and uh, boy, it's just it's a tough situation for him right now, and I'm not sure it's going to get any better. Uh, it will be interesting to see how he responds to this um, slide down the depth chart as the Packers try to go in a bit of a different direction in the secondary. Quinton Rollins, though, we haven't talked about him a whole lot. Boy, uh, just a, a complete non-factor on defense. He got like one snap uh, against, it might have been against the Bengals. In one of these last two games, he had exactly one snap on defense, and he's not doing anything of consequence uh, out there on the field. For a guy who got as many opportunities in training camp as he did, he is just completely out of the picture. And I think it boils down to athleticism. If you look at our uh, draft pick athletic profiles that we put together. I'm not sure there's a public link out there or not for that, but the numbers on on Rollins are just so bad compared to the rest of the defensive backs the Packers have targeted in the draft. They must have just really liked what he did as a cover man in college because the athleticism just isn't there. You don't see it uh, in the testing numbers. You don't really see it on the field. It's been a shame to to see sort of the way that he has been phased out of this defense. A couple more on defense here. Um, a good surprise has been Blake Martinez. Uh, when he was drafted, the conventional thinking was, uh, even beyond convention, just the thinking was the Packers needed help at inside linebacker, and they specifically needed a guy who could cover. Blake Martinez was supposed to be that guy. In reality, it's been completely the opposite. Jake Ryan has been better in coverage than Martinez has been uh, over the life of their time together. And Martinez has really developed into a, a, a great run defender. He is all over the field these last couple games, just, just sweeping up running backs uh, from the inside linebacker position. And it's really allowed the Packers to stay in a little bit of a, a heavier defensive front uh, to the extent that they can with just one linebacker, one true linebacker out there as they do more and more of this Nitro stuff. Uh, it's been interesting to see him sort of grow into that role as the as time has gone gone on, and uh, I hope it continues for him so far or for the rest of the season. Back in the more negative side of things, a surprise for me has been the performance of HaHa Clinton Dix. This is not entirely his fault. Uh, the Packers, while improved in the secondary, do still need a lot of help at the corner spot, particularly in the early goings of the season when Devon House was still uh, dealing with, with his hamstring problems, as they, and they have persisted, I guess. Uh, but for a guy billed as sort of a center field, ball hawk, sort of free safety type, he doesn't get his hands on the ball a whole lot. Uh, he had an interception and a pass defensed on Thursday in the fourth game of the season. That was the first time he had touched the ball on defense since week one. This also a, a, a byproduct of our ball hawks stat. He just doesn't get to the ball in the air very often. And, and quite often, he seems to take poor angles 
uh, getting to the ball both on the ground and and while the ball is in the air, getting to a receiver. Coming off a Pro Bowl season, I thought we were going to see a big jump from HaHa Clinton Dix to start the year, and it just doesn't seem like we've seen it. Back on a positive note, a good surprise for me was seeing Montrevious Adams on the field in week number three. He didn't get many snaps, I think six or so on defense, and he didn't play at all this past week on Thursday. But just to see him on the field at all was, was pretty encouraging. He didn't really do much in the time he was out there, but uh, to be back out there only about two months removed from foot surgery, I think it is a great thing for the Packers defense. And and as he continues to get more involved, it should be a a nice boost uh, to their defensive front. I wonder what that means for Ricky Jean-Francois, though. Uh, I think the question will be whether uh, whether Montrevious Adams can contribute against the run. That's Rick, that's Ricky Jean-Francois's forte is is playing the run. Adams is known more as a pass rusher, and even it was it was RJF as they call him, uh, who said um, that he was one of the better pass rushers among their interior defensive linemen back in training camp. They were very impressed with with his his pass rushing ability. Um, I, I will be interested to see how the playing time shakes out between those two as we go down the stretch in the season. The bad side, Vince Beagle, still out. And less a surprise and more frustration here. Uh, 50% of the Packers' top four draft picks still haven't played this year out of that short Montrevious Adams cameo. I would be interested to see how different this defense would look if they had had both Beagle and Adams for the duration of training camp and the start of the season so far. Would we have Ahmad Brooks uh, on defense? Would we have Quentin Dial around? I don't know. It, it, it's, it, it, would, it would be interesting to see. It's still very disappointing that we haven't gotten Beagle uh, at all so far. And it will be interesting to see how quickly, if at all, he returns from the physically unable to perform list. I believe what happens is the Packers will activate him from, from the pup list uh, after his six weeks there are up, and then they will have two weeks to sort of work him out, and, and then they have to put him on the on the active roster or, or put him on injured reserve from there. Um, we'll see what happens. It's something we're going to have to watch pretty closely over the over the next uh, month or so of the season. Uh, a good surprise back on offense. Randall Cobb appears to be back to the extent that he ever went anywhere. Uh, the big proponent. The big positive in Randall Cobb's corner has always been Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers has a a close relationship with him, at least as a receiver. I don't know about off the field. On the field, Aaron Rodgers and Randall Cobb work together very closely uh, for reasons that are not related to the power sweep or Blue 58. I was looking back at some Packers highlights the other day and happened across the the game-winning throw from Aaron Rodgers to Randall Cobb uh, in Week 17 against the Chicago Bears in the 2013 season. That play only works because of the relationship between Rodgers and Cobb. If you'll recall, that was a fourth down and about eight or so. And the Packers needed that conversion, otherwise the game was over, more or less. They, they were probably not getting the ball back if they did not convert there. If you watch the, the play unfold, every other receiver runs a curl route, a stop route, just past the first down marker. And I think the idea was that they were going to 
to just see if somebody was open initially, and then Rodgers would scramble and see if they could pick up the first down from there. But Cobb notices the defense is, is aligned in such a way that he can just book it down the field. If he beats his guy, he's gone for a touchdown. He threw up an arm without even looking back to see if Rodgers was, was still on his feet. Uh, they, they complete the pass and the Packers win. That doesn't happen, like I said, without that relationship between Cobb and Rodgers. I think we've seen that come up again this year. Uh, despite all the Packers' acquisitions at the tight end position, despite Jordy Nelson being back at full strength, Randall Cobb was leading the team in targets through the first two weeks. And I think that's uh, that speaks volumes of what he brings to this team. The Packers can count on him. He may not put up monster numbers all the time, but he knows his role on the team, and he plays it very, very well. A bad surprise also at receiver has been the complete... I guess, non-factor-ness of Trevor Davis and Jeff Janis. They just cannot get on the field on offense. Both of them have played just a handful of snaps a game, if that, throughout the first four games of the season. And I, I don't know if that's ever going to change. As the Packers get healthier on the offensive line, you can see them going to those four and five wide receiver looks, maybe some more, but even then, they're still running into the, the tight ends who can play this, this sort of split-out position on offense. I don't know if there's a role or room for Davis and Janis on offense on this team as it's con- uh, constituted right now. That's disappointing because both of them have something that nobody else on this roster has, at least at wide receiver, which is game-breaking speed. You'd love to have a guy as fast as Trevor Davis on offense regularly. You'd love for Jeff Janis to finally figure out how to run a route. That's probably not going to happen at this point. So unless you just got him out there running fly routes, I don't know what he brings to the offense. It's still disappointing, though, and it's still a shame that they can't seem to get them involved. We'll finish off with two special teams-related surprises. The first has been maybe not a surprise of... Uh, just that it happened at all, but a surprise, I guess, in degree of magnitude. Justin Vogel has been just tremendous so far this season. And I know it it hasn't been bad weather or high-pressure situations, but he's been real good so far this year. And I think other than maybe one punt where he kind of shanked it and may have gotten drilled on the play anyway, um, that was this past game against the Bears, there there really haven't been that many bad punts. He's had a lot more good ones than bad ones, and, and it's been really nice to see. It is interesting to me, though, that he changed his number. I don't know why that was changed. Tom Silverstein of the, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel podcast said he's going to look into that and report to us to see if that was a decision he made or one that was made for him. I will be interested to see what he, he turns up there. Um, because as we wrote, uh, it would be... Um, the first time since the 80s that someone wore Paul Horning's number in a game. Uh, The Packers have not officially retired the number as a team, but Vince Lombardi retired it. And as far as anybody else was concerned back then, he was the team and, you know, he may still be. I think his, his word does carry a lot of weight. So maybe the Packers just said, if you don't have to, maybe don't wear number five. Interesting to see if, if Tom gets gets back to us on that one. And if not, maybe we have to reach out to the Packers. Finally, a, a bad surprise, Brett Goode. Uh, it's just a bummer. Uh, he just he cannot catch a break, or maybe he's catching too many breaks. Uh, the hamstring issue going to keep him out for the rest of this season. 
too bad. Uh, may not actually keep him out for the rest of the season because since they were, uh, waived him with the settlement, he can actually come back if that hamstring gets better. Uh, now, for, for the time being, the Packers are, are sticking with Tabor Pepper, uh, who, who rejoins the team after leaving earlier this year and actually working at a consignment shop. I thought that was kind of a hilarious story. Uh, just waiting for a team to call, if they ever call, just working at his parents' store. And looky at that, the Packers did in fact call. So let's take a quick look at the next four games as we look into the next quarter of the season. Two real tough ones, then two kind of coin flips from my perspective. Uh, at Dallas, is going to be tough. Uh, the Cowboys, while somewhat diminished at a couple positions um, and, and embroiled in a, a legal controversy with this, in, uh, this whole Ezekiel Elliott situation, uh, golly, the NFL overreaching again on discipline and then getting slapped by, by a court. Who could have seen that coming? Uh, such a surprise there. Um, that's going to be a tough one. And I think if the Packers get through this next stretch at 2-2, two and two, that sends them uh, into the second half of the season at 5-3. and three. You know, you, you can live with that. Uh, I think they probably split with Dallas and Minnesota here. Um, and then I, I like their chances against the Saints and Lions, uh, both at Lambeau Field, uh, better than I like their chances at Dallas and at Minnesota. So we got Dallas, Minnesota, New Orleans, a bye week, and then Detroit, the next four games of the season. Dallas, like I said, is going to be a tough one. It's going to be tough to go into Minnesota. Mike Zimmer always plays Aaron Rodgers tough, um, though it would be nice to get a, a win at U.S. Bank Stadium uh, to finally uh, pop the seal there. Um, the Saints are a bit of a mystery. They're going to give the Packers all kind of, kinds of problems when they're on offense, but the Saints' defense has been maddeningly inconsistent uh, so far this year. They look like uh, the wet paper mache at the start of the year, but since then they've they've kind of shaped up just a little bit. Uh, that one could be a, a high-scoring game. Think like the start of the 2011 season. By week in week seven, I guess week eight, that comes not too bad. Can't complain about that. Uh, and then the Lions at home to wrap up the first half of the season. Um, Detroit is is good this year. Um, I I still think the Packers win the division. Uh, but Detroit is is no slouch. Uh, their defense is is much improved, and uh, as long as as Matt Stafford is is doing the things that he does best, I think they've got a puncher's chance on offense. He's one of those guys. If, if forgive me a a, a non NFL analogy here, but there used to be a, an entire class of guys in the NBA, kind of those instant offense off the bench. Think about guys like Jason Terry, uh, Monte Ellis. Guys like that, they just come off the bench and they're just gunners. They're just uh, shooting shots uh, no matter the distance, no matter who's in their face, no matter if there's four guys between them and the basket. They're going to either try to get to the hoop or they're going to put up a a long jumper because that's their job. They're just out there gunning. Matt Stafford seems like that kind of quarterback. He may not be the most efficient player, may not be the best player in the world, but by golly, he's going to be out there slinging it. And... uh, those guys are dangerous, especially when you you have a, a defense like the Packers have that can be just uh, world beaters one week and just completely the opposite the next week. Uh, it depends which version of the Packers defense you get, uh, but I think by that point we'll know a lot more about both of these teams and maybe be able be able to make a better prediction. I will say the new Lions uniforms are pretty good. I'm not sold on the home ones yet, but those road uniforms with the white jerseys and the blue pants, I think is a pretty good look. I like it, and uh, it'll be fun to see that coming to Lambeau Field. That's our take on the first quarter of the season. 
Let me know your thoughts. Give us a comment on this post when it goes up on Facebook or on Twitter. Let us know via email what are your thoughts on the first quarter of the season and your predictions for the next quarter or so. Hey, while I've got you here, since we are talking about these first four games of the season, here is something that you may find to be of interest. Aaron Jones had a pretty good debut for the Packers this past Thursday. Just the third Packers rookie since 2007 to have 49 rushing yards or more and a touchdown in one of the first four games of the season. You will not name these other two guys. You might get one, but you're not going to get two. Jonathan Franklin was the most recent to do it. He had 13 carries for 103 yards and a touchdown in that really weird game against the Bengals in week four of the 2013 season. I never would have guessed the second one in a thousand years, and I will give you a second to think. Think about rookie running backs who have played for the Packers since 2007. Just think for a second. You're not going to get it, but just think. Deshaun Wynn is the other player. He ran for 50 yards and two touchdowns on 10 carries in week two of the 2007 season. The Packers beat the Giants 35-13 to that week. And if you're going to let Deshaun Wynn score two touchdowns, you probably deserve it. That's the show for this week, and I uh, thank you for listening through 50 episodes of Blue 58. Uh, it's been an adventure to get here. Uh, really thankful to Gary to all his contributions, for all his contributions to the podcast over the last year or so. Uh, and I'm thankful to you for listening to these 50 episodes as we have, have gone through them. Uh, interesting looking at the stats. We have got listeners all over the place in the United States. Uh, Indiana, Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan heavily represented, but places like Western New York, Texas, the Pacific Northwest, all have a pretty heavy, heavy groups of listeners out there, and we're really thankful to you for listening as well. So thanks for tuning in. If you would like to connect with The Power Sweep, you may do that at thepowersweep.com. Leave us a note, a comment, something there. We have a contact page. You can reach out to us via that place as well. We are, of course, on Facebook and Twitter as well. And if you'd like to reach out to us via email, the address is thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so via Patreon. We are patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Chuck and a buck. Help us keep the show and the site running. We are grateful for anything that you contribute, and we would love to hear from you in any sort of medium that you choose. Anything that you tell us helps us make the power sweep in Blue 58 better, and all of us into smarter Packers fans. And smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packer fans are what we are all trying to be. I am your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next week on Blue 58.